Welcome back, Coffin Bond listeners. We're here with episode 113. And Tony, I normally do the introductions, I normally do the start, and that's how we fire away the podcast, but I always make one exception, and this is if it's your school friends, and now I'm even finding out this isn't even a high school friend, we're going all the way back to primary school, so... It is. You like to nominate how old you are sometimes, so we're going back a while here, or...? <laughs> uh, yeah, we are, so we're going back some uh, 40 plus years ago, so probably probably first met, oh, I would suggest... It was grade three. Grade three. We went to St. Monica's. Grade so, three, St. Monica's. So we would have been... Uh, eight, seven, no, eight. eight. Yeah, so it's... Yeah. Um, so with our ages, we yeah. met some 40-plus years ago, Jamie. So it's... Uh, and so and who is our wonderful guest today? Anthony Dennehy. So it's... Uh, as I was just explaining that... My mum's maiden surname was Danaha, so she actually claimed that was close enough. We're probably related. So it's, uh, but I do remember, and I was, I was about to tell Emma is his lovely wife who was here as well, uh, co-author of the book we're going to be talking about. But I was just about to explain that my memory of Anthony in primary school, and I did find an old grade five photo, and he always had his hair combed, parted to one side, and always smiled as he is right now. So always had a smile <laughs> on his face no matter what. <laughs> Uh, cheeky and, and no 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 memories bad memories in any way whatsoever. It was um, squeaky clean. Yeah. I, I say, <laughs> do you have something go different no, to Tony's here? Is there some? There's nothing bad no, to say. Whatsoever. Well, look back then. Back then we were all pretty well brought up. Roman Catholic boys around Essendon Mooney Ponds area. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, all loved our sport, you know. Yeah. So school was all about socialising at sport. So that's what it was all about. Now, how did you two reconnect? I know it's only been recent, but how did the sort of reconnection happen from there? Social media. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, mm. um, and Anthony's name came up, and you know, people you might know. And I think I think you were saying you first connected with Joey Carr. Was that right, or Joe, or, well, uh, yeah, or Ross Jafrida, or yeah, one no, of those? Joey. So, yeah, yeah, so it was, um, and um, so, and how really for me from the Facebook you know, side of things was we actually had a 30 year school reunion about three or four years ago. Yeah. And through that, we connected with a lot of guys. So Anthony and I went to different secondary colleges. Uh, he went to St. Joe's, I went to St. Bernard's. And it was, it was a case of through that connection, there's a lot of guys at St. Bernard's that went to St. Monica's, and through there, I think. Uh, all started reconnecting and then Anthony's name came up and I said wow there's 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 a name from the past uh, a very memorable happy name from the past and reconnected and and yeah and thus you know probably since we saw each other 41 years later yeah. we're sitting here yeah so it's uh, yeah so it's been a, a long journey well, hopefully, Emma, you and I don't have to take too much of a backward step between these two. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, we'll get started into it anyway. Um, Tony, do, do you want to start talking about the business first and, and then where the journey started? Yeah, so, I mean, when, when you reconnect with people, it's always good to see, you know, at their 30-year school reunion, it was quite interesting. I think there were some people there I spoke to more that night than I'd spoken to the entire time I was at school mm. with them. And, and reconnecting with some of the primary school guys like Ray Natale, um, Jason Darcy, um, who I hadn't seen for mm. forever. Um, so people like that. And it's... I think it's always good to see where people have gone because I remember the 10-year reunion, all we are doing was still remembering how good we used to be at football. Uh, the 20-year reunion, we were all complaining about how crap life was. And the 30-year reunion, we just didn't care anymore. It was, it was pretty great. So, And I think through those connections, it, it's interesting to see the journey uh, of where people have gone and how successful, I think, in some ways. A, a, a lot of our generation are actually being children of immigrants, but also children of people who are self-employed. 
um, especially around that sort of Mooney Ponds Essendon area as well. And it's surprising how many people from St Monica's and St Bernard's in some ways have actually followed in their parents' footsteps um, of what, what they were doing, but also to how successful and even more successful they've actually become and actually still gone down that self-employed route and things like that as well. So, yeah, looking up uh, Anthony with uh, Nautilus Media and what he does there, but uh, which we will touch on because uh, I think there's some mm. great things that you do there. Uh, but one of the things was... Um, Anthony actually reached out to me and said, I'm writing a book, here's the concept, here's what about, what do you think of these names? And I think he sent that out to a lot of people in regards to the names and and having being someone who despised reading at school, um, you, you, you didn't have Sister Melania in uh, grade two, you were lucky. Uh, <laughs> I used to get decane for her because I couldn't read, and right. so I was horrified in actually reading, <laughs> you know, so it's, um, or not wanting to read because of, you know, getting the cane. So it was, um, but I think through this actually seeing being an avid reader, I was, I, I loved uh, what the book was about and what he was doing. And yeah, I was uh, very, very chuffed to see an old school friend of mine uh, and his wife becoming authors. Mm. Um, and as a result, I thought, well, we have to, ch- it's just been launched. We have to have a chat about this book because it's men, real conversations. Yeah, I've got it right in front of me at the moment. So do we want to start with the journey of getting to the book or, um, you know, I guess your journey, Anthony, of sort of, I guess, after you've left Tony back in primary school, but... Certainly. Let's maybe skip the journey a little bit. He, he's, re, he's reminisced on that, but yeah, we'll skip so, that journey. So, but yeah, what's absolutely. your background and, and how did you get to, I guess, so, before we start? Once Tony and I separated from school, <laughs> I went on to... This is as devastating as you, yeah, you as it was for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I went on to St. Joseph's Technical College down yep. in South Melbourne uh, and had a, a trade career for 25 years. Many of those years I really enjoyed. I was an electrician um, and I really enjoyed the trade and, and um, I guess serving people. I always felt like that's what I was doing. Yep. Um, and it was about 12 years ago that... I'd had enough of that that life, and I was um, looking for something uh, apart from a trade, but I didn't know how to step out of what I was doing for so long. Um, and it was really fortuitous that I met my lo- lovely wife next to me here, Emma, um, 11 years ago last week. Um, and it was through that journey, and Emma's, uh, Emma is a serial entrepreneur and a serial uh, risk taker. Uh, I wasn't. I certainly was not. Um, I'm sure Emma would agree with me. Um, I, I was Mr. Comfort, uh, and if it if it was outside the square, I didn't quite know how to deal with that. And it's something that um, even in our relationship and the process of our relationship and uh, the, the the lightning speed that I moved at compared to uh, the warp speed that Emma moved at uh, was somewhat different. <laughs> Um, Emma had a business uh, going at that stage and I saw, apart from a wonderful opportunity with you know, Emma, but I saw an opportunity to get out of the trade and, and develop my skills. Um, so I became Emma's employee uh, and I was a salesman selling uh, yep. online advertising for uh, a job employment website, which was great because it allowed me to talk and it allowed me to, to get to know the people and uh, learn the art of conversation, I guess. Um, and that was a really good business and Emma's, uh, we 
well, Emma sold that uh, to her partner at the time. And then from there we moved into, um, well, when, when that happened, I went back into an uh, employment and I worked, went back into the energy industry, but not on the tools. I got back into um, uh, large commercial sales of, of energy contracts and um, wholesale product type uh, you know, businesses and, and learned some more skills. And, and those couple of years for me was all about upgrading my skills from where I was as an electrician, which you know, I've considered myself a good tradesman, but I certainly didn't have um, the skills, business skills yep. so much. Um, and so I, I got into that industry and, and really enjoyed that and did pretty well out of that. Um, you know, we had some um, really good learnings and, and, you know, I developed a, I guess, a, um, uh, a somewhat of a pretty good reputation in that industry um, as, you know, someone that, that was reliable and can, you know, deliver those, those products to the customers. Emma always in the background was the gears were turning and, and what's next, what's next, what ne- what is next? And I'd often get a phone call, hey, Ant, I've got this idea and I've gone... Right. Okay. <laughs> let's let's run it past me. Um, yeah. 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 PM on a Sunday night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, tu- I've turned off the emails. And, you know, some of them I'd, I'd I'd go. Oh, I love it. And some of them would land instantly. Others wouldn't. And and without trying to you know curb Emma's enthusiasm for them, I'd go. You know. Hey, babe. We've got enough going on. We're doing this. We're doing that. Let's focus on here and. Um, and that was met with um, um, agreement and on some stages and other stages she'd go, no, I, look, I really believe in this uh, and that's what we, we, we're doing. So, of course, I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Emma's pass, and I'll let Emma tell her history as well because it's really important and it gives some real context, uh, you know, especially for, for some of your small yeah. SME customers. Yeah. Um, the journey and the dream is, is Emma sees the dream and, and can deliver more so deliver the dream and, and you know project manage something from start to, to finish and the book is you know it's a two year journey from start to finish I couldn't have done yeah. you know mm. I've done a small percentage of the, the, the work on this um, Emma's been the driving force and um, you know I was the, the guy who was lucky to interview about 60 guys from all over the world uh, because it had to be uh, a, it had to be a really comfortable conversation. It's men on men, and it's men talking to men about men's you know health issues, uh, mental issues, family, all of those sort of things that we discuss. Um, but in the background, Emma's been the driving force behind that, and the you know the powerhouse that that's actually delivered it. And you know, we've self-published that that book, and it's um, that was a, a four-month, five-month-ago decision that six months ago maybe that was the decision that's the path we're going to take so it's I guess that's a little bit about me so mm. well. is it fair to say that entrepreneurs don't like being bored yes <laughs> so it's, a, it's just like I we, have we a we monkey mind have that, yeah yep. we love to have that passion to be always yep. be building yes yeah yeah and I think um I think product development is where where I sort of I guess I've had my mojo. Mm. Um, so a little bit about where I've come from is I've worked with a family business. Um, my father ran a company called Hallmark. 
Um, we did a lot of conferences, events. We did book publishing. Um, we did magazines. Ooh. So uh, and then about tele- so Hallmark Publishing. Um, Hallmark Editions, which was more B two B. It's not the card company. Okay, yeah. Um, but he sold that uh, about eleven years ago. Yep. Um, and uh, unfortunately not to a business that continued its growth path okay. um, and it's no longer in existence, which is, uh, you know, sad after, a, you know, 30 years of hard work. Yeah. Um, but I think from that point, you know, I think the development of products was in my DNA. And so it was, okay, what can we do? How can we do this well? Uh, so we started running large conferences. <clears throat> so Anthony and I have run uh, a number of really large conferences in planning and mm. climate change and sustainability, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's actually where uh, the book has come from because we've had people like, you know, um, senior ministers, we've had, you know, so the ambassador of the environment, yeah, we've had some, amazing speakers. some mm. of the prime minister speak at a mm. number of our events. Um, and so when we thought of this book, which was, I guess... Um, and Anthony can speak to this, he's lost a number of friends to suicide. And he, we were talking about how does this look, um, you know, for men when there's all of this pressure on men, but there's not a lot of resources for them to be able to talk about this emotional buildup. And, you know, to be going to funerals of men that have decided that suicide is their only option um, is a terrifying prospect. So we thought, you know what, men aren't going to turn to self-help books, um, but they will read about their idols. They will want to know how these other men have dealt with some of these life challenges. Um, and why did we think we could do it? It's because we'd ask these guys or ask these other people to to speak at our conferences and we'd always gotten yeses and we'd been able to build these big conferences, so why couldn't we do it with a book? Mm. And that's that was sort of the journey of saying, right, well, we're just going to ask. Um, I think we collectively had a heart attack when the Dalai Lama said yes. Um, yeah, I think that's a good coup. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, the, the part that jumps out to me before we get to the Dalai Lama was, I guess you sent across some information about sort of how the how you came about the idea. Mm. Um, and I was reading it before, uh, as Tony sent it through to me this morning, and, and it just jumped out to me because this is the argument I've actually had consistently with Tony. Not, sorry, not the argument, but... <laughs> discussion. Uh, discussion in the way that I feel about certain things. Yep. That's um, an argument with me, just doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you, you described here that you were discussing self-help books that didn't really tap into what you were looking for um, in understanding more about yourself and areas of life that you could learn and grow from. Um, and what resonated to you is really what resonates to me as well um, is that you know I, I'm sick of books that are telling me this is how you do it you know this is how you meant to feel better this is how you change this is how you become open that doesn't stand out I am who I am I, that's my belief and you know I motivate myself in a sense yep. but, but I do like hearing about journeys yep. and, and experiences so yeah is that that conversation you two had around the dinner table or yeah look it is um, I, I'm a, a big believer that you're not going to change your life by reading 10 steps and process yeah. you, you you might pick up a, a nugget out of one of those 10 steps but you've got to go decipher you know 400 pages of some um, mindful spirit guide who's going to get you there yeah. or you know a diet or a, you know how to run a business better or how to do whatever yes you will pick up you can pick up a nugget but you, you've got to you've got to filter through a lot of noise to get to it you know I don't um, you know I used to be a, an incredibly avid reader loved it 
as a rule now, I don't read as much as I, I want to do. You know, it's something that I know. You know, through this book, I'm reading it uh, a lot more. But it's, um, you know, I, I, I think it's. I'd prefer to have a conversation with someone or read about someone's how they've dealt with the situation, and then turn the page and get someone else's perspective. Yep. You know, you learn by um, uh, that conversation, and you learn by by talking about it and, and hearing about it not by reading about it, you know, in this is the, the steps you need to take. So that's sort of, you know, the self-help book. Um, for some people works and, and it's great, you know, Emma can sit and um, devour some self-help books and she'll say, look, read this one. Uh, it just won't resonate the same with me, yep. you know, because we're all different. And that's actually where the book started yeah. was me giving him a self-help book, him saying, uh, and reading five pages of it and then thinking, okay, where how do we get something which is really going to resonate for men yeah and that was the discussion and um, i'm the test case (laughs) (laughs) it's the same same internally here like willard and tony are both avid readers and the amount of books they clock a year is is incredible um and you know as i said they come across my desk and i do pick them up Mm. especially when they say look i really love this um Mm. approach it out and willard's had one it's been sitting on my desk for about a month i finally took it home last night got through a few chapters so i've started there but Mm. yeah that motivation for me just doesn't sit there. Um, but I think the nuggets is a is a really interesting one because you might have noticed on the weekend I said read the pages one sixty four to one one eighty on the science of protection. Basically, yep. I'm going to save I you a lot of work. You, yeah, yeah, I want you to read that. Yep. You know, so yep. I think that is very relevant. Yep. You know, so it's. Um, but I guess that's also been the beauty of podcasting, and, and when I when I read this or when it's in front of me, yep. it's you having those conversations and putting those in words so people yep. can relate back to it. But The first book I actually got him to read, which wasn't Harry Potter or something like that, <laughs> so was, uh, uh, but it was it was quite interesting because I said, well, we've got 16 hours on a plane, mate. Here's a book, you're reading it. Yeah. And he actually quite enjoyed it. He actually got just to read yeah, it and, too. So it was the first book I ever got given to okay. read by my first mentor, Okay. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People yeah. by Dale yep. Carnegie. Yep. You know, and I actually, it's a book that I used to continually reread mm. and I was reading was reading it once down to Paran Pool when I was probably about 24, 25, and this young girl came up to me and said, I'll be your friend if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, What? But I do have the book in front of me and as we stated it's called Men, Real Conversations. Um, and I guess Tony even highlighted this first part and he goes, it, it's great to see someone going through the same thing as me, but why the subject? As a man, I've failed many times. I've hit rock bottom many times. I've contemplated my own existence many times. I've experienced grief, loss, sorrow, despair many times, and I've failed people many times. When that was you... the opening paragraph to my life. <laughs> and when did you come to that realisation when discussing this? That's a, that's a hard one, I think. But... No, well, <laughs> it, 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 look, that was a really raw moment. Yeah. That was a really raw, raw moment, and it happened actually not long ago, um, you know, uh, in all in all relationships, you have your, your great times and your, your challenging times, and that was a bit of a challenging time. Emma and I were, you know, we we're finding life a bit hard with COVID and with kids and um, with with business and and everything that was going on. And we were sitting there, and it was about eleven eleven thirty at night, and it, that those words landed in an instant. Um, and I said, "Em, I've got to I've got to get up. I'm, I need to write this down." You know which I don't, that's not normally how I operate, but it, it, it hit so hard. And then I just shot it through to M, and I think you read it the next morning. 
and I walk out and she's in tears and I'm going, what's the matter? She goes, I've just read this and, and I said, you know, that's that's my why. Um, uh, and she said, it's going word for word, like we've got to put this in because it, it, it's going to resonate with someone, you know, and look. Oh, first, it, it punched me in the face. Yeah. Uh, just that paragraph and as I said to Jamie, wow, because I, I just buzzed him and I said, read that. Uh, I actually read it too and I said, you had sworn I wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, this yeah. book is all about being honest, yeah. all about uh, integrity, being uh, really, really clear, but also opening myself up and the men opening up uh, on vulnerability. You know, vulnerability is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, mm. as is toxic masculinity. Mm. You know, we want to fight that toxic masculinity stereotype to start with. But vulnerability is, is certainly a subject that is on people's mind uh, and I know in my own journey, the last 12 months with some of my friends um, who I've grown up with, you know, my relationships are so much stronger now because we had time without the noise during COVID, we'd just catch up and go for a walk and we'd talk and we'd talk openly. And so um, I had to I had to open up my heart and I guess my why as to what this book means to us and why it's so important. Um, it's hard to... to it's hard to put that out publicly, you know, like it's, Absolutely it is. it's not something that when I first wrote it, I've gone, oh, maybe that's just a, a, it's a bit too deep and it's a bit too personal. And, and you know, what's my friends going to think about this? What's my mum and dad going to think about this? Um, but, you know, I'm proud it's, it's in. I'm, I'm proud the words are in there and, you know, it sort of means a lot to me. But, I mean, you, you, you spoke about Anthony having lost... Yeah, friends through taking their own lives and it, it's actually quite interesting and that part that really hit out with me was you know the we've all had dark periods and I went through the blackest of black periods mm. uh, probably a dozen odd years ago mm. and made some horrendous mistakes um, and it was it was actually that's why that really resonated with me because I was actually suggested to me by my father to stop wearing masks because on the surface, everyone would think everything, your life is magnificent, uh, but you're going through inner turmoil. And this realistically started about 17 years ago. Uh, but you're going through this absolute inner turmoil and you're hiding it. And by hiding it, you're just making it worse for yourself. And mm. My health was deteriorating, um, constant anger because you don't understand. There's, you know, so there's all these troubles that I was actually going through. And sometimes it was just a case of, uh, thankfully, you know, it's, um, I chose a really good dad, mm. <laughs> but he, he was the one who actually got me to open up. Mm. And, you know, it's actually, do have a very large tattoo on my arm, actually, which I drew to honor, to honor him. And it was mm. basically, you know, just the masks. Mm. And so it's a reminder every day to stop wearing masks, mm -hmm. you know? So if, if you have to say it, say it, mm. uh, but always come from a place of love and compassion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, and it's, um, so I, I think I commend you on writing that. Uh, if I had to write something, that's what I would write. But uh, but it's, but I would never have thought of putting it like that. It's just beautiful the way yeah. you wrote that. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to explain how this book is actually written? Yeah. Um, so we wanted it to be completely authentic as though you were, you were listening to a podcast and it's word for word. Yep. If they swear, it stays in. It might have a, an asterisk in place, but it stays there. Um, one of the things with podcasts, as wonderful as they are, is that you need to know about the podcast first, then you need to feel drawn to the subject, You need to f and, and, and then step into it. 
with this we're hopeful that someone might buy it and then be able to leave it for other people to in their family potentially to to be able to um, read it when they want and so it needed to be in chapter form it needed each man to have their own chapter and for them to be completely authentic and so we haven't changed any wording we haven't paraphrased anything it is word for word what they said to Anthony and to another one of our contributors Julian um, and it's um, very very raw mm. um, they go into subjects that they often haven't spoken about before some of them have opened up for the first time about things like post-traumatic stress suicide attempts um, abuse abuse where they haven't spoken about to anyone but their counsellor and then it's I guess a testament to Anthony and, and to Julian that they felt that they could step in and have these honest conversations um, and we were aware that you know in the moment when they're talking about potentially things like their relationship with their father um, issues that they might have had in the, in the past that they might not want that published you know it might just have been a moment and actually hang on a second we don't want that published so we transcribed it uh, sent it back to them and said are you sure you want this as is and 95 percent uh, of them came back and said I stand by my words yep. and it is what it is and I'm happy for it to stay so there was a couple of people I think who, who sort of maybe thought okay there's a few things that I don't want to the world to know about um, but on the whole everybody came back and said yeah that's that's uh, that's my life and, mm. and I want people to stand be, by it yeah mm. um, you know there was an example that we know resonates with us where um, a man who is a mountaineer and climbed all seven summits his name's John Bede and he uh, had never spoken about his post-traumatic stress to anyone but his counsellor or psychiatrist. And he had climbed all seven summits. He's achieved this great success. He was just about to start a TED talk. He was in the shower and he looks down and starts seeing dead people in, on the floor. And he was like, this is not right, this can't be. And so he went to a psychiatrist and was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. And he thought, well, post-traumatic stress is for war veterans. It's not for mountaineers. But he'd lost his best friend to a car accident. He'd seen bodies on Everest and, and on the mountains that he'd climbed. And yeah. all, all of this stuff, you know, assimilates and, and, and it has to come out somehow. Yeah. You know? And so he'd never spoken about it. He'd never talked about it and he never felt that it was okay to discuss these things and then, and then it manifests itself into something. I think you're right about the power of the book as well. Um, how you explained before around the podcast is, you know, you, you guys walked in and handed Tony the book and I grabbed it out of his hand and, and sort of opened it straight to where I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of Tony laughed and sort of went to the sports person, but love, I love Paddy Mills and i seen that name and I'm just yeah. drawn straight to it. Yeah. So I, I can imagine when I go to read it, I, I wouldn't even read it from... Yeah, front to back, I would read it where I would go um, and guide my own journey yeah. through it. Yeah. One of the, the, the really important um, elements that we wanted to achieve with the book was diversity. Um, we wanted to have as much uh, culture, as much um, uh, range of men, you know. You range know, of experience. Range of experience. We opened chapter one, you know, we opened with a bit of a bang with the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Um, you know, I did, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't interview him. He, he provided um, written responses, so we've got a direct link to the Dalai Lama, <laughs> which is nice. Um, and, you know, we could, he, we went back a couple of times and he, you know, uh, provided more information. 
So to have his perspective um, is going to resonate with some people, but not with everyone, mm. you know. Um, but then you turn the page and, you know, Commander Chris Hadfield, who's uh, you know, uh, commander of the International Space Station and has been around this globe, you know, thousands and thousands of time, he has a very, very different perspective than a Paddy Mills or, a, you know, a Robbie Madison. Well, he was who's a singing a, astronaut, wasn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah, Grand yep. Controller Major Tom. That's yeah. right, yeah. Fascinating guy, and, and mm. his, his interview is one of the longer ones in there. Well, after that interview, and a lot of this was done at the, in the middle of the night, you know, back into America, 12, 3, 4 in the morning, and I got off, and, and I'm quite, um, I used to get quite uh, uh, deep into the conversation, so I'd come out of that, and then would go, how would it go? How did it go? And, and I'd be a bit confused by it. Oh, gee, I don't know if we got what we wanted, or this is where we went, and, um, and we'd always have a plan, you know, what we'd try to... to for the guys to release, um, you know, publicly. And I said, oh, I don't know if we got what we wanted out of Chris Hadfield. Well, next morning, Emma's up and transcribing it, and she said, my God, this is this is amazing, you know. So deep. Yeah, so his perspective on life has to be different because he's done things that, you know, a handful of people on this earth have done. He's been up in space, and he spent a long time up there. Uh, so he looks out that window and sees the, the world in a very, very different light than what we see it um very yeah. humble too as, yeah. as yeah. he said he, he tries to keep the conversation away from himself yeah. for as long as possible because as soon as people realize that he's an astronaut then the conversation is just yeah. about him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know all other conversation yeah. stops yeah. yeah but you know the, the the diversity of the guys you know we've got some um amazing guys that you'd never heard of one guy in particular um khalil cumberbatch cumberbatch um, he's a guy who went to prison and did a really, really dumb thing in America and, and you know... Um, armed robbery. Armed robbery and there was an accident and someone got hurt and he ended up, and that was his first offence, he ended up in uh, maximum security jail in, in America. For 10 years? For 10 years, you know, and he was tapped on the shoulder and it, that was his worst fear, getting tapped on the shoulder in, in prison. And thank God this guy did tap on his shoulder. He, you know, he's fearful and he'd heard all the stories about abuse in prisons. Um, but this older guy came up to him and, and said, you know, I want you to be part of this group. We're, we, we're ta- trying to change the, the story about guys going into prison um, and you, you've got to be part of this. And he goes, no, nah, too heavy for me. I'm not ready for this. And the, the man said to him, well, you can be part of the story or can you, you can be part of the solution, you know, and that sat with him for some time. Well, he's now an advocate for you know, criminal justice in America. Yeah. Father of four kids, we did that interview while he was nursing babies and changing nappies on, on, on FaceTime, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so the diversity is, is what I love about the book and, and really proud that we've, we've managed to get... Um, you know, these guys involved. We've got alpha males, you know, we've got... Jocko Willie. Jocko Willie. I was going to say, when you said alpha males, he's the first person I looked at. He's <laughs> pretty alpha. It's, uh, oh, absolutely. And then yeah. there's so. Dr. Lane Norton, who is uh, a bodybuilder and powerlifting champion, superstar. Yeah. Um, and again, but both of them talk really openly about vulnerability. Um, the humility is really comes through. It does. Mm. It's interesting because if you take Jocko as the example, same scenario, but we interviewed um, our war veterans um, ambassador, uh, ex Bernard's boy, but Lieutenant Colonel uh, Kyle Tyrrell. And in, in, Kyle would make decisions for people. So in business, mm. if, if, I, if I'm a CEO of a listed company and I make a wrong decision, it costs the shareholders money. You know, in here, if I make a wrong decision, it costs me money. Mm. 
Cole, if he made wrong decisions, people could lose a limb or mm. their life. Mm. You know, so it is. So when you think of that vulnerability of watcher, they can't they can't second guess themselves. But no. they, they a mistake can cost a life, or you know, yep. or a limb, or whatever mm. the case may be. So or an innocent person's life in some way. So yeah, the the if the the amount of stress that that would put you under. In still knowing that you have to make an instant decision, mm-hmm. but that instant decision can't be wrong. No. You know, so you can't be second guessing yourself. Yep. So, yeah. So yes, you have to be an alpha male. Mm. Uh, but secondly, the, it's it's not just being the strongest guy in the room. It's about also understanding exactly what you have to do at that moment and being yep. able to do it. Yeah. You know, so that would and so the amount of stress that that would put on you. Mm. It's not like just um, you know having a shot at goal playing for some burners, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. You can get hounded if you missed, <laughs> but that's a completely different yeah, uh, absolutely, discussion. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. How did you guys go about getting onto these people? How did, how did that start? Like, you jump on a website and what email them off? What really good at has probably been the foundation of our business is yeah. being able to find people. Yep. Uh, again, having to do this for conferences and getting speakers and so forth. Um, and I'll tell you how good Emma is at this. <laughs> <laughs> we have Vim. We found Vim Hoff's Gmail address. Now you'd be surprised how simple Vim Hoff's Gmail address <laughs> is. Vim dot Hoff at Gmail. It's not that. It's, not, it's <laughs> very close. It's very close. But he responded within half an hour. Half an hour. Yeah. To an email from Anthony. I love this. I am all in. Kiss kiss. <laughs> Vim. <laughs> Yep. When when that landed, we've gone. I think we're onto something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, though, isn't it? That you you know you, you don't know if somebody will say yes if you don't ask. That's correct. You know, well, so that was the Dalai Lama. You know, people were thinking, what? You know, like my parents are honestly thinking this is one of their madcap schemes again. This is not going to fly. You know, what makes? I think Mum actually said, "What makes you think they're going to say yes to you? You're this, you know, these unknown Australians." And I said, "Well." We were going to ask, and, um, and if you ask politely, they might you might that, even have a better chance of saying right. yes. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's it's one thing I'm proud of. Tim Ferriss tried to get the Dalai Lama for his books, couldn't we? Did it's good to have one over Tim. because those books are very thick reading. They are really thick reading. So yeah, it was just a matter of saying these are the other men that are being part of this book, and I think that's often. A really important part of it is to know who is who you'd be part of the book with Um, and so we we contacted them we had to go through a lot of publicists we had to go through the last word in you know and so we we, we've sent over 600 invitations so we we had 80 people 80 guys say yes it's a great Um, take-up so we've we've got a sequel in the wings if if this uh is is well received um but you know and, and we had some we very nearly got the rock and that mm, would have wow. been a huge moment. And Prince for Harry. Us. And Prince Harry. Wow. But, yep. Yeah. Um, and so you know, but that's a lot of liaison. It's a lot of pe- a lot of people never responding. It's a lot of um, you know, you think, well, we've got this one, and then it's, and it falls apart. Um, but I think at the end of the day, part of it is that not all these men are hugely well known. You know, mm. not Ooh. everyone knows Wim Hof. Not everyone knows Humble the Poet. Um, but for those people who do follow them, 
they're avid. They're avid, and and and. Well, I told you my experience with Wim Hof. Uh, mm. So it's um, you know several years ago. Mm. I'm just learning how to breathe properly, and once mm. again, as part of my meditation every morning, I do my breathing exercises as well, and yep. hardly use the aspirin pump in seven years as a result, and haven't had a cold, and yeah, uh, and love a cold shower. Yeah. Well, know, so it's, um, his journey with with the cold was essentially driven by the suicide of his, his wife. His wife, yeah, that's yeah, right. Who yeah. who uh, passed away and left him as the father of four children he's yeah. now got five uh so he as he said he's uh, now in his 60s and he's got a three-year-old and he said it's all new yeah. <laughs> fatherhood is all new we'd forgotten about it um well, so but his energy levels are through the yeah. roof <laughs> amazing so, and he's how'd you keep him focused in the interview <laughs> <laughs> so, so. he goes off on different tangents let me tell you oh yeah um yeah but he's he, he's his joy for his life and the honesty. I mean, he said, I was a $7 an hour truck driver, mm. uh, seven euro an hour. Um, and to be able to transform that and to work with his family, all mm. of his family are a part of, of his business and creating the life together. So I think he's done an amazing job. I think we also need to sort of acknowledge where it first started and who we first asked um, and, and our first yes. And that was, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of, your, your clients would know um, Paul Ruse. Yeah. Um, you know he's he's we're we're lucky that we've we've met Paul and his wife Tammy. Um, Emma Emma got to know Tammy pretty well. Uh, Emma used to run Mindful Women uh, Melbourne, yep. Yep. where we'd have you know hundreds of women and we'd we'd hire out uh, the art centre um, mm-hmm. theatre there and and um, Federation Square uh, venue there, and so we got to know Tammy and and. That's where I guess my journey of mindfulness started, you know, through meeting Tammy, and then Paul came along one night, um, and we just ran this past Paul, and he said, "Look, yeah, love it, really good concept. What do you need from me? Uh, good, sit, give me an hour, <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. you know." And, and it's hard to get an hour out of Paul at times, yeah. you know. Um, but he was, you know, he was, um, he was, he was on board really early, and that gave us. A, a peg in the ground. Yeah. You know, I could then go to the next person or then and go to the next person and say, you know, Paul Rue. So we started locally and we built built types, you know. So we've got We're also very lucky. I don't know if you're aware of Scott Neeson, who runs the Cambodian Children's Fund. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And he used to be the head of twentieth uh, 20th Century Fox yep. um, before that was in the early 2000s before we started CCF so um, mm. we're supporters of him and we go across we've been across to Cambodia a few times to um, do some, some work with yeah, them do some yep. work with them support the development of the library over there and so forth he's got some wonderful supporters he has Tony Robbins he has Quincy Jones Heather Graham um, and the Velcro company has the Cripps family. The Cripps family has mm. has just built an amazing STEM building for these children and, and yeah. students over there. And to see the journey that he's going through in trying to keep boys at school and to educate these boys and to change this you know generation that's been devastated by the Khmer Rouge. Um, you know, he's just doing a remarkable job. Thousands of kids are now being educated, going on to university, and and what was a really devastated, you know, generation of children um, now have a future. So he's he's a good friend of ours, yeah. and, and jumped on board early too. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, How did you guys decide who was going to be a part of it? 
is it is it where you would sort of in your own research come across a name and think oh that's an amazing story let's just reach out is that how it sort of works yes and no because mm. i think a lot of the men we didn't know the backstory yeah you know i think we found out the backstory and went wow that that's a lot deeper it's a lot more challenging than we thought it would be we knew their public story yeah and, and their public story it had to resonate with with what emma and i do um you know we've we've um We've had some experience in the out-of-home care with, with children, the foster, mm-hmm. foster uh, sector. And there was a couple of guys, you know, in particular we knew had had um, some experience in that. So we knew there was a story there. Um, we didn't know the depth of the story until yeah. we, we had the conversations. Mm-hmm. So, But, yeah, it was, it was research. Um, you know, uh, our daughter Sophie, she was... Um, She's more hip than I am, of course. And so, <laughs> so she would say... Just uh, using that word just shows, I think. Yeah, well, um, she would say, What's oh, you've word? got to... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a word. That's a dictionary. <laughs> We're all going to need one replaced. Yeah, exactly. Um, she would come up with, with a list and say, you've got to try and get this person because this is what they're doing in that space. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it was around mental health a lot of it is uh, around um, changing the language uh, and giving some direction for youth uh, you know mm. we, we, that was one of you know our pillars of why we've done it as well try and give give some good guidance to the youth I think that was one of the reasons that we you know contacted a lot of the sports guys too mm. I mean yeah. we wanted a big diversity we have one of the the world's most eminent Islamic philosophers um, Professor Saeed uh, Hossein Nasser, uh, who's in it, and that was completely unexpected that he would say yes. Um, and we were very, very grateful. But we do have a lot of sports people, a lot of athletes, um, because they are regarded as cultural heroes. They're, yeah. p- they're people that young people look up to, and men of all ages look up to, and that women too. I mean, I think one of the things is this is a really important book for women because they're getting insights into the way that men think and i think in a lot of ways it challenges the status quo you know the depth of the way that men feel about certain subjects Mm. um is a lot stronger than perhaps might be represented um particularly around mental health depression uh, vulnerability their need to be connected to nature is a really powerful one so many men feel as though so much of their masculinity is tied to nature. Yeah. And um, I think that came through really strongly. I mean, you look at the, you know society these days, especially Western society, a lot of people's feet never touch dirt. Yeah. You know, we get out of bed in a, in a nice home that's warm and we put our shoes on and we walk out on concrete streets and we, we, we might walk over the grass, but we don't touch the grass. Um, these guys, uh, you know, it's something that Emma and I have always been connected uh, to um, you know Mother Nature, I guess through our hiking and you know um, our trekking, but it's something that these guys are all saying we've got to get back there and we've you've got to get your feet dirty and you've got to you know get into cold water or you've got to challenge yourself. And Even Led like, Hamilton, yeah, and you know Mick Fanning, both amazing surfers, yeah. and their biggest calling is Mother Nature. Or champion in big waves, yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. But we do, we do have a gentleman sitting in this room who's always very quiet, uh, sitting over there, the man of many hairstyles, Willard. Uh, quite often you will see Willard leave the office with a, with a chair in hand and you'll see him across in the park with his pants rolled off and his, yeah. up his shirt off, sitting in the sun with his feet on the grass and... Yeah, so it's um, is a is a true Wagga boy who will rip off the tie and, <laughs> and go go across to the park and read a book 
uh, in the sun, uh, yeah. shirt off, summer or winter. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's so important. It, it is, is so important actually to get back to nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, even, even during the lockdown and COVID, you know, Willard's family got a farm up in Wagga and mm. he would go back and uh, work from there mm. uh, rather than working from his place in Collingwood, So, mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm. which makes perfect sense. Absolutely. You have to get out. So, yeah. so what's some of the questions? How did you structure these conversations? I can imagine that they went off into every di- which direction, um, but how did you try to structure the conversations with each of these men? Um, do you want to jump onto yeah, that one? I, so we did come up with a series of questions that we thought were... Open, thought-provoking, open, yeah, thought-provoking and open and that would allow them to talk about things that are important to them. So the first question that we ask them is, is there a favourite philosophy or quote by, you know, by which you live your life? And I think that opens up a really interesting um, conversation because it allows them to identify their values really early on yep. and then they start opening up into a, a, the larger conversation. Mm. Um, the one that... So we often, based on who they were, changed the conversation or the the um, the subjects that came up and the topics that came up in the conversation. Anthony was very adept at being able to to change uh, and and you know um, change the conversation based around what they were talking about. But uh, the the concept of what is your favourite failure. Um, was the one that really opened up, mm. up a lot of conversations and it was what led them to their success and often. So mm. their favourite failure was often the thing that was yeah. the catalyst for great change. And I had to be careful when I asked that um, because it's it's quite a confronting question. So it, it was always... Um, and 90, well, probably 50% of the guys that I interviewed had not seen the questions because their publicist had set it up. So they're sitting there on the other side of the world on a Zoom meeting yep. and... Uh, G'day, you know, Mick Fanning, have you seen the questions? No, I haven't, but that's okay. And I go, right, okay, well, um, this is who we are, so I'd tell our mm. story. This is, um, you know, why we're doing the, the book. Um, and all of the guys would, go, would just say, well, let's, let's just step into it. So by having some structure, um, it let their barriers down because they were, they were talking openly about what they find. Um, interesting, you know, their their quotes, you know, something that resonates with them. Um, you know, Justin Langer is an example. He lives by short quotes. He's got a room in his home that he, much to the disgust of his wife, because it was brand <laughs> new. He'd write in texter all over the wall. So I'd love to see this room, you know, where yeah. he's got all of these quotes just written down. And um, so if you get them talking that way, and then you could, you, you know, you sort of start talking about vulnerability, and then you'd say well you know let's talk about some of your favorite failures and that's a, a strange question a favorite failure well you know they're, they're all failures but I think we need to view failure um, I know Americans uh, Americans do this better than Australians um, they're prepared to fail uh, mm. uh, and when you ask that question once they've got they've got a, you know a comfortable dialogue happening with you they really started to open up, uh, and that's where a lot of the, the great stuff came through. Mm. Yeah, that's where I think, um, you know, people like John Wayne Parr, who's such an amazing guy, but he his favourite failure was when he'd overstayed his visa in the US, tried to fly back into the States after a fight. Uh, his wife was seven months pregnant living in the States, uh, and he got turned around at the border by customs and said, no, nah, sorry, mate, you've overstayed your visa by two days, off you go. And so he came back to Australia and he said, um, 
you know, it's my favourite failure because had I gone back to America, I would have gone back to teaching boxing classes that I worked in kickboxing classes that he wasn't enjoying, came back, and from there he went to Asia and ended up becoming this Mai Tai superstar. Yeah. Um, so it's those moments that probably seem awful at the time that have led these these guys to sort of some of their successes, and mm. I think that's... Uh, it's interesting, I was, I was talking earlier though to one of my colleagues in here about the fact that we are who we are today, and he's 24, so I said 24 years of his life experience. We are who we are today because of things that have happened to us in the past, but a lot of people will continually revert back to the negative and to those mm-hmm. bad experiences, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, this always happens to me, or this, or you know, so always continually reverting back to the negative, whereas... The, what I find is the people who are successful in so many aspects of life, and that could just be just by being a great dad, mm. or, or you know, not just a success, not just successful in monetary terms or sporting terms, etc. It's a case of well, that happened. I didn't like it, and we start to talk about my father. Mm. I didn't like what happened to me. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen to my children. Mm. Yes. You know, so or it's a case of okay, that failed. Where it's still a great concept or a great idea, but what exactly went wrong, mm. and where do we go from there? Mm. So they actually learn from those past experiences, not continually going back and dwelling on them and having them as a default option. Mm. You know, every time something goes. So if it's a default option, you know that failure is. If that's that default option, I always go back to. It tends to be something where they set themselves up for failure of that new thing every single time. Yes. Mm. You know, yeah. so it's. Um, it is interesting, though, about the fact of getting men to open up. And, you know, so uh, I know, uh, Anthony, we're obviously of similar ages, mm-hmm. um, being in school together. But but basically it was a case of, you know, we, we did grow up in a generation where we've got, you know, our parents who were born in the, say, 30s and 40s, etc., uh, the men of that era were very different than mm. uh, than we were. They raised us to be differently, and we're very different even with our children um, and that as well. So it's it's more that encouraging of actually opening up, of mm. not being afraid to tell your son as a father mm. that you love him. Mm. You know, or give him a hug and mm. things like that, which was you know generations ago is totally unheard of. Mm. You know, it was a case of kids are to be seen, not heard type of attitude. Yep. Um, so. So getting these men to open up, especially these alpha males, big strong men and things like that, I mean, what an, what an amazing achievement. Do you find though it's starting to become easier now? I mean, as I go back to that you know, paragraph that you wrote there, but do you find now it's starting to become easier for men of our generation Mm. Uh, to now be a little bit more open in our failures, not wearing those masks, being vulnerable? Yeah, without fear of being abused for that. Absolutely, um, and I think the fear of um, a, a man being vulnerable today is accepting what might come by being open. Um, you know, and I'll use my own experience, I guess, um, with some of my friends. You know, some of my friends have gone through some really hard times the last, you know, twelve, eighteen months with COVID and their businesses. Um, much as we have as well, being able to talk about that and and when you pick up your phone with a, a mate and he goes, oh man, I'm I'm having a really bad day, you know, and this is the hardest part of my life. Okay, let's talk about it. Where are you at, you know? So um, men are now more willing. I, my experience, I guess, and and what we hope, and that's you know what we've really uh, tried to identify 
um, with the book is it has to start somewhere you know and if, if the book is left on a table and someone picks it up and goes oh gee I, this you know I could be reading about one of the, the men and I've, I've got a similar experience or a similar thinking pattern um, maybe I do need to talk about something to someone um, you know so I think that's really important so to answer your question yes men are more uh, open now Mm. I think one of the things too that we were really conscious of in conceptualising the book is that we didn't want it to be about mental health because that then draws a line as to what the book's about <coughs> and people go, well, you know, I'm not suffering from a mental health issue. Mm. Why would I want to read this? Mm. And we also didn't want to be going to men and saying, well, this is all we want to talk about. So we wanted to talk about their lives, their successes, their family, you know, um, the, 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 their highs and their lows as much positive what makes them truly happy is one of the questions that we yeah. ask um, and that's a really interesting one how do they deal with anger and frustration you know that's a really important one for so many men because that is how they feel they they bottle things up and then it comes out as anger and frustration so that question is designed to say what are you, what's your tools or what do you do and for a lot of guys it's going and hitting a bag really hard you know or it's going hitting out a wave or hitting going a wave or... going and yelling and mm. just getting it out of their body mm. Um, Emma, can I ask a question there yeah. as, as, the, as the only female in the room? Yeah, sure. Um, so as, as you just mentioned, you know, about men, we bubble yep. it up, yep. we go hit a bag or yep. or in some cases some men will go, um, you know, substance abuse or whatever the case yes. may be, uh, concern of violence. Women tend to be a lot more open about their feelings with their girlfriends and things like that than say what men are. Yes. Uh, is that a fair comment? I think it is, but I think there's still a belief that you've got to provide this veneer. There's still this kind of Instagram, life is great, here's the highlight reel, and women are really sucked in by that. Yeah. And so I don't know that... Is that a real concern for the generation of, say, the under-30s as Absolutely. Well? Especially and the younger children. 100%. And yeah. I think a lot of people and the younger generation are suffering a lot of anxiety because of mm. this concept of this, you know, this is, you, you, your life's got to be a highlight reel um, and talking about the things that are challenging or that you're suffering from mental health, while it might be a great hashtag for them, it's actually really difficult to properly talk about it. And they're so disconnected by social media, you know, I mean, especially during COVID when we couldn't see each other and so all interaction was done by social media, that actually creates a lot more challenges and um, you know I certainly think that while women are good at talking about emotions they might not necessarily be happy to talk about the mental health side of things the anxiety side of things it might be about being you know the perfect mother okay hang on what what if I'm suffering from postnatal depression or what Mm. all those things tend to be swept under the carpet you've got to have perfect children perfect hair perfect house you know and if you don't then are you failing um, so I think the conversation is just as relevant to women as it is to men. It's just men have historically really not had found these conversations accessible. There's a lot more resources, I believe, out there for women because uh, there's a lot of these books about women. Um, there's not so many about men, yeah. aimed at men, by men, for yeah. men. Yeah, I think you're right about the stories as well. Is it's some t- you may be able to say something because so I've just gone through an experience with my group of friends where mm. we think we're loving, open, honest people with each other, but and we, we we are to some extent. But there was a trigger that happened that we actually weren't being honest about a few things that were going on in people's lives, mm. and they've, they've been vulnerable and opened up about that. And 
in the months that have led after that, it's it's changed the way that they're feeling, yep. the way that they're doing, and, and for the good. Um, yeah, they've made really positive changes. Decisions. Yeah, decisions. and it's yeah, but it was lives. interesting that you know I was sitting there with Jess and yeah, always thought that we were an open, honest group, hugging mm. each other when we see us. You know, mm. you know, I guess from the outside it looks looks great, but people were going through things that they didn't want to be vulnerable about and open up, but now mm. they have, and, and it's sort of leading to change from there. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think I think just as a you know, it's going a bit deep and off topic, but just the the fact that there's now these these school uh, girls and boys that are now talking about this issue of consent uh, and the issues that are actually happening under the surface that haven't been brought to light, and that you know, in fact, it's it's not just being vulnerable. These these people are suffering from assault. Mm. Um, you know, these things need to be brought to light in a in a much more open way, and I think that's beginning to happen. Um, we are, you know, talking to boys' schools and, you know, um, co-ed schools to get the book into schools. Yeah. Um, I think it's just really important. We don't go down the path of talking about things like, you know, toxic masculinity or... Mm. Because, in fact, that's not our place. It's we're asking open questions and if they choose to go down that path and talk about the things that have happened to them and talk about, you know, those those uh, issues and frameworks within the conversation, that's up to them. Mm. But I think, though, it's, you know, every all the people that you're interviewed in this book and that have opened up with you are all successful in mm. some aspects of their life, but their whole life has not always been successful. Correct. So Most of them have been plagued by challenges absolutely. And, and mental health. A lot of them are driven by wanting to commit suicide. Yeah. And prove themselves. And to prove themselves. I mean, Jeb mm. Corliss is one of the world's greatest base jumpers, and he's in the book. Um, so he's the guy who, when you see someone going at warp speed off a mountain in a, in a wingsuit, it's usually him. Um, and he did it. In my he heart rate just raised, just actually. He did it because he thought, well, I want to kill myself, and this could be an interesting way to do it, or I could enjoy it. And in, that was twenty years ago, and he mm. hasn't passed away. Um, and he said, now I'm going to start bringing back the risk side of things a little bit because in fact I love my life and I you know so it's um but a lot of men have gone to that that point um you know Anthony Trucks is a former NFL quarterback uh and he he grew up he was in the foster system uh, grew up in an all-white family after being in other placements where he'd suffered a lot of torture and abuse and um you know he he said, you know, I got to that point. And, you know, I, when you hit bottom, there's only sort of one way you can go unless it's an exit. Mm. Yeah. So... Um, it's, I, I do remember reading in one of Tony Robbins' books, mm. which I haven't made Jamie read, but it's... Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, but I do remember he, he, there was an interview with uh, two twins whose uh, African-American uh, father was drug addict in jail, mm-hmm. in and out of jail, mm-hmm. uh, dealer, and ended up, you know, I think doing life in prison mm-hmm. for uh, murder. Yeah. And... One of the twins ended up uh, pretty much going down the same route as his father, and the other twin uh, ended up being some very famous, successful, I can't remember what profession he ended up Mm -hmm. in. And the same question was asked to both of them, and that was, why, uh, how did you end up in this position? And the twin who was in jail said, well, look at my father, what choice did I have? And the other twin who was very successful said, well, look at my father, what choice, what choice did I have? Yes. You know, mm. The answer was virtually identically the mm. same. Now, I'm not saying that that person who became successful had an easy road to success mm. in any way. So there would have been, 
lots of trouble, lots of failures, lots of self-doubt um, and all of that, but still made a decision that he didn't want to go down that route. Mm. So, and you know, you have a look at all these people, as you're saying, with Anthony Trucks, just have a look at his picture there. You know, so he he had a childhood that you wouldn't want to wish upon anyone. He's absolutely gorgeous too. What a smile! <laughs> 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 I'm a heterosexual male who totally agrees with you. I mean, what an absolute smile on the guy! So yeah. it's um, you know, it, it, it's and you can see that there, there's something that he has done mm. uh, to put him in that that position. But he would have still been racked with self doubt and everything else. Well, he's but a he's, lot of people just see the success. A lot of people correct. just see the Instagram photo or the, the book the, is the, not the, about adulation. Yeah, they're very famous. Some of the men are very famous. Yeah. It's not about adulation. Yeah. It's great. We do. I love that you've surfed the biggest wave in the world. That's that's great. Yeah. I really admire that. Yeah. You know, thrilled. Yeah. But I want to talk about the journey to get there. Yeah. You know, the thrill of that. Yeah. You know, that, that the challenges along the way. Mm. Yeah. I, w- I wonder, you know, if uh, Mick Fanning's heart rate rose more punching a sharp in the nose or riding one of those massive waves. <laughs> do, you, do you want to tell us about his interview, Mick? Because you got here that it was like talking to a lifelong friend. He's just that oh, type of look, character was, he is. It was such a... Um, I'm so jealous for starters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted Mick Fanning in the book um, yeah. because I, 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 I love his values and, and he comes across, his, to me, his values are, are, are unflappable and he just seems like a really nice guy, which he was. Um, so we found his, uh, his manager, Ronnie, uh, and, and I handed Ronnie. And, and Ronnie's famous in his own right. Ronnie is very famous, sir, for himself, absolutely. And, and I guess... Everything Emma and I do, and especially trying to contact these guys, unless they put an intervention order out against us, <laughs> that's a, that's not a no. Yeah. 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 So we keep going. Yeah. But anyway, we backwards and forwards with Ronnie for months, months and months. Um, texts, emails, this, that, and the other thing. Um, he finally set it up, and it, Mick was just at home, and we did it via Skype, uh, via Zoom, and we just connected instantly, and it was. Um, got a great laugh he does yeah. and we laughed we, we we really had real good connection and great laugh and then we talked about you know like the, the grief he suffered and the, the trauma he suffered by losing his two brothers um, and and that's that's out there the Ooh, public know yeah. that yeah um, but there's there's some of the, the, the discussions and, and how he actually opened up and learned to grieve um, because Leading up to that point, uh, everyone said, "You'll be right, mate. Toughen up. You know, get back on with it." And and he, and he said, oh, "I wasn't ready to get back on with it, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell the world that because I've got a job to do. You know, I've got to win another world title." Yeah. Um, so it was when he realised that um, he's allowed to grieve, uh, to grieve. He said his life changed and mm. things got easier for him. You know, so, um, but yeah, just a really genuine guy. And so he was you know. the first person who found out that his brother Sean had died when Mick was seventeen, and he'd passed away in a car accident. And Mick was on the way home from a party and had the police pull up to him while he was walking home and to tell him get and, in the car. And and he and he realised obviously what was happening. And his and his big moment was: Do I get in the car or do I not? Do I get in the car? Because he knew his life was changing at that moment. And then he had to tell his family. Yeah. So he so rocks up at home with, with the police and his mum's there and, and he's got to tell mum. 
you know. So, so. that's. Um, and but again, he you know he he sort of couldn't grieve, couldn't allow himself to have these walls up, um, and uh, then got into a, a counsellor's office and within ten minutes was crying and and letting you know the wall down brick by brick as he mm. says. So. Mm. Yeah, you know, really. I shed tears with some of these guys as well. Yeah. You know, some of the emotional... And I still get very emotional when I, I talk about some of them. Um, you know, even last week, a friend of Emma's showed her, her mum and her grandmother the book and she videoed it. And without them knowing she without was knowing. Girl. Yeah, and they didn't know anything about us, the book, and her grandmother's going, my God, this is this is amazing, you know. And so important because her husband never knew how to... Yeah, to communicate. Mm. Um, so I got teary up over that, seeing someone's reaction to the book, you know. So it's um, it's 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 something that uh, men, I'm not going to say need to do more, but I think men need to be able to, at the right time, release the shackles and, and um, let their, the, the true emotion come through. Well, based on that, if if I can uh, end on uh, two questions, one for you, Anthony, one for you, Emma, if Mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first one is, you're a father, Mm -hmm. you're a husband, Mm -hmm. uh, you're you know a partner in a business together. Um, How has this book either highlighted things for you? Uh, Number one, as a man, and how has it changed you or some of your perceptions out there? Great question and really confronting because during it, when I'm hearing these um, pearls of wisdom and and, and the, the the stories that these guys are going, uh, you know, sharing, I'm relating it to my own life, you know, mm. and they're they're talking about their failures and their success and their challenges and their relationships and, and everything that, about their life, and I'm sitting there going, oh my god, you got to, you know, you got to take this on board. Mm. So that that was quite confronting with a lot of the, the conversations. Um, you know, using it now, um, I think we all try to be better every day, you know, and, and I, I hope I'm a better person tomorrow than I am today. Um, I'm going to make mistakes, and that's okay. I'm, I let myself make the mistakes at times. Other times I hold myself um, to a pretty high standard, um, you know, but it, it's, it's having the... Uh, taking the mask off, uh, yeah. you know, as, as you mentioned earlier. Um, we all we all walk around the streets with a mask on, you know. Uh, no one knows what happens in your own personal life unless you share it with someone. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, a much better communicator now with Emma. Um, you know, that's been a journey of... Em, Emma's a great communicator and, and wants to know emotionally uh, why and where uh, and how. Um, so that's something I've had to learn, you know, yeah. to, to be, you know, the best person I can be for Emma. Yep. So in reverse, Emma, mm. as a mother mm. and as a wife and mm. as a best friend and as a business owner mm. um, as well. So in reverse, how have how has this opened up even your eyes to the vulnerability of men mm. and how have you seen... Uh, those changes in your husband and best friend, etc., and business partner. The conversations were 
really profound. I didn't expect them to go as deep as they did. I mm. thought in some cases we might get some lip service responses um, and it was one of the key reasons that we wanted the conversations to take place rather than having written responses. Mm. That being said, there were people that responded. Robbie Madison provided a written response and it is profoundly deep. It's it beautiful. Is, it's a mm. beautiful, a beautiful chapter. Um I think there was a lot of things that I wasn't aware of, the way that men view vulnerability, the way that they so, um, so, so many of these men are incredibly self-aware and I think potentially as part of saying yes to being in this book, a lot of these men have done a lot of self-reflection yeah. and so they're actually sort of on that growth path uh, and have and a lot of them, you, you mentioned earlier, um, your journey with transcendental meditation. Mm. A lot of the men mention it. Mm. Uh, Justin Langer regards it as a cornerstone to his success. Um, you know, I think it was really helpful for our relationship in terms of Anthony being able to understand that all of these men have these core values. You know, this connect, need for connection to nature, which Anthony needs desperately. Um, Anthony's sort of moved down the mindfulness path as, as a result. Um, I think he's learnt to deal with anger a lot better as mm-hmm. a result of these discussions and knowing that it's completely okay to, to, to not be your best and to, and to have your moments of, of vulnerability and self-doubt and know that that's not a reflection of who you are as a man. It's, it's simply a moment that you need support and to be able to actually open up and say that can make all the difference. So. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so it's, um, yeah, I think, you know, in our youth it would have been the fear of being called names, teased or punched in the face. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, um, mm-hmm. and that's what, you know, being open uh, was if you were open and so putting yourself in that vulnerable position, you're being called soft or a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Some real derogatory terms. So um, I'm glad that, you know, a generation is being raised where that is just not acceptable Mm -hmm. um, anymore as well. So it's, um, and we didn't have it as tough as our parents had it Mm. or their parents had Mm. it, you know, so it's, um, so thankfully it's getting better. I, I, I can't wait to, I've only got a copy of the book, so I cannot wait to read the book. Uh, you'll, really you'll, have to wait to, you'll have to wait till I get through it first and then, <laughs> <laughs> then I'll jump on it. No, it's, um, this has been wonderful. Uh, you know, it's, Emma, it's the first time we've met and it's been mm. wonderful to meet you. So proud of you, mate. So 40, 40 years uh, since I've seen you, but what, what a wonderful journey this book is just magnificent. I'm looking forward to... I've still got uh, just turned 52, so I've still got 53 years left to go, mate. That's so it. We'll, uh, we'll go there. But it's um, but sensational. Can't wait to read it. Uh, I, I already know hundreds of people that I'm going to be pumping this out to yeah, uh, for them to read it as well. So it's... Um, this, this is fantastic. So congratulations, guys. We will have all of your links and all your socials, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, attached to this as yep. well. We will pump it out. So and all of our socials too. So. Wonderful. Uh, and certainly um, all of our uh, clients out there, men or women, I think really need to see get a copy of this book and see it. So yeah. congratulations, well, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been uh, great to catch up. It has. And, uh, yeah, great to, uh, great to share our story, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.
The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.